In Phil Cly's novel, Missionaries, we learn that there are worlds of people still enmeshed in the post-9-11 wars that continue to roil abroad in ways tenuous or more intractable. In interconnected stories of four central characters, we learn that communities and families are intrinsic to the larger story of modern war and the globalization of violence. This is Book Public, a podcast about books from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. Phil Cly is known for his National Book Award-winning short story collection, Redeployment. In his debut novel, Missionaries, he draws on six years of research in both Colombia and the United States and delves into the ways that the modern war affects the most ordinary of lives. We spoke to Phil Cly about the novel, Missionaries. The novel, Missionaries, it's this 400-page vantage point that you give us. Uh, to show us a very modern war, but it's about these convergences of countries, of people, of families, of factions. And there are convergences that are on such taut, tight strings that the suspense runs high page after page. Why was it important for you to now tell this particular story? Well, you know, my first book was specifically about the Iraq War, and I've been mainly just focusing on on thinking about war in the 21st century uh, since then. And it seemed insufficient to me, uh, or at least for, for what I felt was increasingly vital for people to understand, to just talk about one conflict, because the wars and the way that we fight them now kind of bleed together. You know, uh, for me, a kind of touch point in terms of writing about war is the, the World War I trench poet David Jones, who wanted his writing to be incarnational, right? Um, to bring the reader into this sort of viscerally immediate sense of the experience. And that's always been really important to me, but what can that mean, right? Um, in a time where abstractions like globalization, have such an impact on the wars where you can have a situation where you've got a Colombian mercenary on an Emirati air base viewing a Yemeni tribesman through a Chinese-made drone before killing him with an American-made missile, right? How do you express that in a story? How do you talk about how that came to be? And, and why it matters both at the sort of microscopic level in terms of how that affects people and communities, but also in terms of the sort of macro level in terms of how this new way of war is reshaping our world. And for me, <laughs> that meant putting these things into story, into characters, right? Um, and that's why the book is structured the way it is with sort of four different narrators whose plots and sort of fates all converge in this small region in Norte de Santander, um, but who throughout the book travel to various war zones. But it is those individual lives that you zoom in on, those particular stories uh, that just grab hold. I mean, certainly it is a war novel, but it's also a novel about these individuals and their stories, very poignant, mm -hmm. powerful stories. And I think this is also the point that, I think we forget sometimes that there are human beings 
um, out there in these places that I think uh, sometimes we'd rather turn a, a blind eye to or turn the channel on. The characters here, and there are a few central ones, Abel, right-wing paramilitary, who's really tried to escape that life. Lisette's a journalist, uh, an American war correspondent who's been in Afghanistan, and it seems that she is having a difficult time settling back into the idea of American life and goes in search of another war to tell honest stories. Like, that's her thing. There's Mason, a special forces medic. There's Juan Pablo. These are all flawed, conflicted characters, and they help us see this as the war novel as an extremely complex and human story. How did you settle on those four, those particular four that represent these different elements of, of modern war? Right. So well, they sort of emerged out of a long process of, of research. You know, the book involved, you know, interviews with tons of people, special forces, folks who had spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan and Colombia uh, with, you know, uh, multiple trips to Colombia to, to do research where he interviewed everybody from a former minister of the interior to, you know, people who grew up in paramilitary towns. Um, and I wanted to have sort of various layers of, of war uh, uh, that, that you could sort of navigate through, through these characters' lives. And so if you think about somebody like Avel, who is from this sort of poor rural region, you know, he's experiencing sort of at the ground level, uh, the consequences of decisions that are made sort of high above him. So there's a raid that's kind of pivotal in the center of the book, which is actually based on something that really happened where the Colombian military put a beacon into a six foot tall teddy bear that a drug trafficker had ordered for his girlfriend's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And they, tracked the teddy bear to this party before killing him. And Avel lives in this region where that raid, you know, after that raid, the the people who killed the drug trafficker leave and they tell themselves that it was, it was a success. But what happens is it restructures, you know, changes the power structure in that region, right? In that community where Avel lives. Uh, then there's Juan Pablo, who's in the Colombian military, right, and is involved in, in, in planning and executing that raid. There's Mason in the American military, and the American military has been intimately involved with the Colombian military and assists them in various types of activities, including uh, increasingly sophisticated targeted assassination campaigns, which is a recurring theme throughout the book. And then you have Lisette, who starts out in Afghanistan, and is you know, a journalist trying to understand the big picture, and trying to find ways of, of talking about what's happening that will be meaningful to an American public that's disengaged from the wars. And so that was sort of how I conceived of these four main characters. But of course, you know, when you write them, they take on a life of their own. And you're sort of, you know, kind of neat schema for, for exploring geopolitical issues starts to get complicated with the very human motivations that they, they have. Um, and so, for example, just, uh, you know, with Juan Pablo, I thought I was writing one type of character, and then I gave him a daughter, and all of a sudden, 
his relationship with his daughter and, and his daughter as a character became really central to the book. Um, and that was, you know, that wasn't in the original plan, but that's sort of what happens as you write. But I want to ask you about your research, too. You've done an incredible amount of research for this novel. I read the list of sources um, mm-hmm. in the acknowledgments. I thought it was a dizzyingly long <laughs> list. And you mentioned, too, all of the interviews. I'm sure there were dozens and dozens of interviews, the research you did in Colombia. And I just want to ask you about that. Like, how do you set about to structure your research or keep it organized? Because things do change as you write the novel. Yeah. And so the, the research is, must be just this wholesale, almost nebulous thing that then you you have to inventory and go through. Well, you know, I always want to do enough research so that I don't, so, so that I feel free, right? You know, if I know a few things about military campaign in Colombia, uh, I'm going to write exactly those things into a story because I'm not going to feel free to to pick and choose, to invent, um, to sort of do things that that are unusual, right, that I feel like I can justify um, because I know the material well enough. So I'll always do a ton of research, but not, you know, it's not so orderly in my head. I mean, I I say that I did have at one point um, a sort of like, you know, serial killer style post-it notes all over the place. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, But uh, you know, like things about Columbia, but at the end of the day, what I want is to have a, just a kind of bunch of ideas swirling around in my head and things that I can draw on and, and pick from to use as I see fit as I'm sort of pushing through with the narrative. The the other thing about research is, you know, there's there's kind of different types of research. So there's research like, you know, knowing about a particular technology or a style of warfare or, or, or certain things that might have actually happened. Um, or, you know, how the Colombian paramilitaries used election returns to figure out which communities they should target for kind of to terrorize. Um, But then there's also just kind of like reading, you know, fiction and poetry and people and and sort of uh, philosophy, people who have thought about and dealt with the kind of sort of moral and spiritual questions that concern you. And so it's not that organized a process and a a certain amount of fluidity and, and, and chaos is important for the, for the writing to actually have that kind of freedom for me to feel like I can deviate and explore something that I never thought I was going to, you know, there was, uh, a chapter, you know, I had this scheme for how I already mentioned Juan Pablo and his daughter. I had this scheme for how I was going to write him. And I wrote his first two chapters. And then the next one that I wrote was just like, you go back to Medellin in like the uh, 90s. And um, and it was this chapter that wasn't ever in the initial s- sort of scheme of the novel. Uh, and that I was writing out of order. And yet that I just like had to write and felt really, really important. Um, and I think became very crucial for his character. And so having that sort of like, you know, you've done a ton of research. I know all these things about, you know, I read a military memoir about, you know, the 
hunt for Pablo Escobar, which didn't have anything to do um, with, you know, the time period that I was writing. I was just reading it for, you know, basic research and, and to get a flavor of how somebody, you know, military guy might write uh, a memoir. Um, and also just to practice my, uh, you know, not particularly great Spanish, um, uh, you know, just to you know read through a, a memoir. And then, you know, that ended up being one of the things that I drew on because I just had it in my bank of, of, of things that I'd read that, that, you know, might become useful. And there are a million things that I read that, you know, never made it in. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can, I really appreciate that. And I like what you said about literature, because it's not just these, you know, military memoirs that are sort of at the heart of your research. I mean, I, I love a, a war novel where a character mentions Frank O'Hara, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you can't discount that. Uh, Or the mention of uh, Roberto Carlos uh, singing uh, Amigo, right? The song coming on. (laughs) It's just like, like, yes, this is it. This, this is the, um, this is the way you add texture and color and, and these realistic details. These are human beings walking around in these spaces that, uh, you know, that we're trying to understand better as readers. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> they live in the, or, or should feel like they live in the real world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I appreciate those details very much. There's an awful, speaking of research, there's an, an awful lot here about ravaged bodies and wounds and violent acts perpetrated on human bodies. Um, yeah. And, and also the tending to wounds as well. Where did where did you research for this sure. these kinds of details? Yeah, so Mason is a medic, and there are descriptions of him tending to the wounded, in particularly in Afghanistan, um, where you know he's he's doing really intense work on severely injured human beings. And because he's a medic, he knows what it means when a body is injured that way. You know, even if you save somebody's life, the it's sort of astonishing that, you know, people who have experienced severe trauma, the sort of thing that would kill a, a normal human being in almost any war. But of course, our medical technology has become so good that we can save people's lives who never could have been saved before. We can save people's lives who've lost so much blood that you can't even put blood into their veins because they've become slack and you need to actually like crunch into bone marrow. I mean, it's, it's amazing what they can do, but those bodies never forget that trauma. And actually the diseases of old age strike the victims of severe trauma, I think two to four times faster. Uh, Men, uh, I think women actually... Um, do much better than men uh, in terms of recovery from from severe trauma in in that particular regard. Um, But um, yeah, and so he knows sort of scientifically what this means, but he also has a somewhat uh, philosophical bent. And he's trying to think out what it means on a kind of deeper level as well. Uh, And then, you know, you have somebody like uh, Avel who experiences sort of, you know, a particular level of extreme um, violence. And, and uh, you know, for somebody like that, uh, you know, one of the pivotal writers for me is Jean-Marie, who was 
tortured by the Gestapo and then sent to Auschwitz um, and later wrote about the experience and wrote about what it did sort of did to him on a sort of psychological, philosophical level, right? What his relationship to the world was after he had been through that. And so trying to think through, you know, what does, what does wounding mean? Um, what does it mean at the level of science and biology? What does it mean sort of psychologically and philosophically and spiritually is, is, is a sort of recurrent theme through the book. And also, what does it do to communities, right? Because, you know, the book opens with Avell reflecting on what it means to be a person. Um, and for him, it means having a community. I like what you said in another interview about the ways in which readers should understand that the war is just another topic, like any other topic, really, mm-hmm. that we give our time and attention to. Some readers will reject books about war, thinking that, it's just too far removed from what they care about or think about or need to know about. Um, so whether you your next book is about uh, the war or, or veterans' issues or the military, um, the idea, uh, as I understood it from, from listening to that other interview, was this is literature too. And, you, you know, you've just um, right. cited a, a, another author writing about those experiences. Um, so what do, you, what do you say to that? I feel like there must be all this pressure for you to be that guy. But that, <laughs> that guy is, is a writer, you know, it's sort of. Right. I know you have this military experience, too. But I feel like the pressure is tremendous for people are sort of, you know, waiting for the next book about war. And then then there's this whole other group of people that just offhandedly reject the idea of reading a book about war, right? So I wonder how, how you consider those sorts of, of things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you don't really let that in when you're writing. You know, you just write about the things that feel most vital and alive to you. And I think that, you know, whether you're interested in war or not, one interesting thing about redeployment is a lot of people have told me that they don't read war books, but they read that. Um, and which I very much appreciate. And, you know, for missionaries, yes, it's about war. It's about, you know, understanding 21st century war and why it is, I think, different in important ways. But also it's about what it means to be a father, what it means to sort of have a set of ideals that you use to navigate through, through the world that kind of have to then face up to the reality of the world and how it doesn't quite fit um, and the adjustments that you make sort of mix of idealism and pragmatism and corruption that all the, all the characters are tempted by. Um, you know, it's, it's about what it means to be a, a vulnerable human being in a world that is sometimes uh, dangerous and full of suffering. These are not things that are unique uh, to people who have experienced war. Um, <laughs> it's about it's about the importance of community um, and how broad, abstract, globalized forces can destroy that community, right? It's about the faith that the various characters have, whether it's sort of faith in job, their, you know, their job, faith in, in divine mercy, faith in the progress of civilization, right? Faith in the institutions they're a part of um, and what happens when that is shattered. So, you know, it's, it's, they're just human stories at the end of the day. 
um, faith in, in, in your daughter uh, in the future. And as far as, you know, whether people want to pick up a book about war, I mean, you know, <laughs> some subjects appeal to people more than others, but I, I wanted very much to write a novel that was not sort of narrowly focused, that would be open, open to people who don't generally think about these sorts of things, right? You know, when we started talking, I was talking about this kind of very complex um, global system of violence, right, that drove me to write the book. But at the end of the day, this book is about very specific human beings. So I think, I think anybody could empathize with all of them, even though they're very different, sometimes at cross purposes. As I read the book, um, I, I really disagree with people who say that, you know, they'll read a short story if they just want to read something fast and be done with it and, you know, just sort of plow through it. That's not the way I read short fiction or anything. But mm -hmm. there was something about reading a, a, an Abel chapter and sitting with it as almost mm. as a short story and just sitting yeah. with here's this protagonist here's this terrific conflict this terrible conflict and then here's his abject loneliness you know his frank o'connor <laughs> um intense loneliness and then you know same thing with the others you know this sort of um story with lizette going back home to Pennsylvania, seeing her uncle whom she loves, who's, who's very sick, and, and sort of having to make a decision to, you know, not sort of settle back at home, which would make her mother very happy. But she, now she needs to, you know, the, these profound conflicts of these characters. I mean, I, I really appreciate what you say, what you're saying about this sort of this global connection of war, like we are all connected in, in these wars and in these things that happened, happen over there, but they're really happening everywhere. And at the center is the community, any community, any individual who's in even the slightest way impacted by what's going on in these far-flung places that will that some of us will never see, um, so I, I really appreciate this idea of community that that you mention. Yeah, it's there's, it's there's a reason that I opened the book there, Gavel, um, and it's it's you know with Lisette, one of the things is the community that she <laughs> that her family lives in is is one that is sort of you know going through hard times. Um, and there's a whole variety of reasons why she doesn't want to be there, right? Um, but also she doesn't want to be constrained by it. And, you know, Lisette and Abel have very different relationships to community. Abel just desperately wants some place where he can belong. And, and Lisette wants to sort of slip the bond of, of, of the images people have of her back home. She's much more sort of, you know, individualistic in that way. What's the main thing that you want readers to understand about your novel? I mean, right now, oh, and maybe even as we continue to march toward the future with all of these question marks 
about our own country, yes, about the world, about this pandemic, about politics, about so many things. What is what is the main thing? I mean, this is the big question about literature that's sometimes a little bit rhetorical, but not really. What's the main thing you want us to understand about your novel right now? Well, I mean, to, the biggest thing that I want from readers is something I could never think of myself. I mean, the beauty of, of literature is that people enter into this experience that you have tried to curate them through um, and then come up with reactions and reflections and, and sort of, you know, the act of reading is a creative act in and of itself, right? Um, and so they'll come up with things you could never anticipate, but which are kind of profound and interesting and beautiful. Um, so that's always the main thing. I would say one thing in terms of this present moment that's very important is these are sort of forces that I'm talking about types of warfare, institutions, and the ways that they are, you know, institutions have their own kind of inertia, right? Um, and so one of the kind of interesting things and tragic things is that since maybe the second half of the Obama administration, it really hasn't mattered who the executive has been, right? In terms of, well, let me back up. It's mattered a lot who the executive has been, but the style of warfare has remained constant, right? Um, the Donald Trump military policy um, is not in any real significant way distinct from that which Obama was doing uh, in the latter half of his presidency, right? Uh, just that, you know, uh, Trump has, you know, <clears throat> let's say a greater tolerance for civilian casualties and for, um, and seems to have, you know, cheerleaded brutality in some cases with partners of war criminals. Um, uh, but the basic sort of institutions and structures that I'm talking about, they were present under Obama, present, uh, they're present right now, and will probably continue to be there, uh, you know, whoever the next president has been. Actually, one interesting thing about the sort of military packages, uh, we started attending Columbia uh, at the beginning of the, at the end of the Clinton administration is that Joe Biden was one of the people who put it together, right? And so we have this, these institutions that are very good at doling out violence, but we've allowed other aspects of American power to wither, right? Uh, you know, just sort of, if you look at the gutting of the State Department, that's kind of one prime example uh, that's happened, especially in the last couple of years. And so if we want to sort of understand how we're shaping the world and try and think about how we might do better, we need to understand these things, I think, at a more granular, granular level um, than our current political climate and our political conversation is engineered to, to allow us to discuss. There's just so much to be learned from poetry, from uh, from novels, uh, it just it just seems to me that a book like Missionaries, right now, is and I don't mean this you know I don't mean to say like oh everybody should read this so they can figure things out and know what it's all about and and it's not that it's it really boils down to what is just a quintessential story about people. I'd also say this, you know, in terms of art, sort of perennial discussions, like, you know, when things are so, when there's so much crisis and, and um, you know, what, what is the purpose and value of art? What art does is, um, 
but there's a sort of conservative function of art in a, um, in a more progressive function, right? The conservative function is just the artist's job is to look at the world and find ways of expressing it truly back to us, right? To look with unblinking eyes and show us the world as it is, right? Um, so we can actually see it because most of the time we're too caught up in our own world to actually break outside of the sort of ideological fetters <laughs> that, that, that prevent us from, um, from seeing the aspects of reality that we're uncomfortable with, right? But the other thing that artists do is they sort of help us reimagine other ways of, of, of greeting the world, of approaching reality, of thinking about it. Um, and so, you know, you're never going to get a policy paper, right, from a piece of literature. But you might get a better understanding of the human condition, the complexity of our social reality, the, the <laughs> philosophical challenges of trying to do good in a broken world in ways that will better inform you in terms of how to go about and think about and act within that world. I think that art plays a critical role in that. And so that is, I think, uh, uh, what art can do that nothing else can. Phil Cly, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Phil Cly is the author of Missionaries. This has been Book Public on Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Bree Kirkham is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.